Good morning. Um, I'm going to be reading from Second Samuel, book. I mean, uh, chapter seven, verses one through seventeen. The Lord's covenant with David. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet. See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving or as happy as it could have been. Um, it is now officially Christmas season, right? Um, now that Thanksgiving and, and Black Friday have passed, and for some of us, the idea of giving, of, of gift giving and receiving feels like good news. You're thankful to be able to stand in those long lines now six feet apart between people groups, right? You're happy um, to, 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 to be able to, to go shop and buy, buy while for others... This season reveals our inability to afford, our inability to give what we should and desire to our loved ones. Sometimes it can reveal just how much we failed to save over the last year and even our shortcomings in knowing what the people we love actually want for Christmas. And Kelly and I, for our boys, have to carefully plan what and when to buy and gift for our sons. 
But for us, there is this glimmer of, of, of extra hope we have had, we've had every year since their birth. See, in our lack, in our stress, granddaddy comes to the rescue. Right? My father calls us every year and, and we have even preempted the call, called him first as we plan the gifts out. He always asks, what, what do the boys want? What, what, what can I get? And we are able to tell him what their desires are. And because of where he's been financially over the years, he always gets the big bill item. You know, the thing out of the financial range on our list for them. And that has proven true even for the gifts he gets his daughter-in-laws, right? So he had three sons, and then through marriage, now he has three daughters. Sometimes the gifts they have gotten over Christmas are embarrassingly generous and a lot more competent compared to what the husband's. Can and have given. You know, they open their gift from, from, from my father and then they look at me like, thank you, daddy. Right? He knows what to get. He knows what to gift. And the hardest part of this isn't that he outgives husbands and gifts to wives, but that you can never, ever get him a gift that comes close to all he is, all he has given, all he knows, all the ways he's loved. Like with my father, as we look at our Bible passage today, we must recognize, as King David learned, you and I can't beat God's giving. We can't beat God's giving. Our lives, the testimony of church people, is that they have a heavenly father that underwrites and overwhelms and preempts us with what we need. And as the Bible says, more than we could ever imagine or think or even pray for ourselves. The Bible tells us here that King David thought he had finally arrived. He was in a place where it was a time of peace with his enemies, living in a nice crib, money and taxes flowing in for the king. He thought he could finally gift God from his prosperity. He could be that son, you know, I've had this feeling, who comes through with gifts for mom and dad. Right? Aren't you happy when you can finally bring a gift? You leaving your house in another city, right? In the car you bought, showing up to your parents' house with a bag of gifts for them. Ooh, that's a good feeling. Rolling through. Right? Rolling up to the house. And I can remember when it started for me. To be able to buy our dads and moms a gift, handling, handing over a, a wrapped gift, doing something out of sincere love for my mom and pops out of my stack, right? And, and I sincerely, sincerely believe that's what David thought he was doing and feeling. In fact, he called Nathan the prophet 
right? His chief of staff in some ways, his, 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 his chief counselor, the one who could hear God's voice. And, and Nathan's going to show up a lot in the Bible, and he don't always show up when David likes it, okay? It, this, this dude, it, it, he works for David, but he ultimately is God's prophet. He say what God says regardless of what David thinks, okay? Yes, Nathan, what you think about this? And at first, Nathan is like, yeah, do it. You got it like that. And God's worth it. And David thought, like a football player, he just signed a new contract to buy a house, not for mom, but for God. To move God out of the trailer, the tent where his ark was, and get Joanne and Chip Gaines to go Magnolia on a place for God, right? But just as he was about to write the check, Nathan headed home. God hit him up, not on text, but something else. Hold on. God put David in check for his own good by through Nathan explaining and showing his God's gift to David first. Imagine you're about to give that tithe to dad for Christmas. And he says, hold on, player. Hold on, son. Let me get my gift for you first. And he doesn't pull out a tie. He pulls out the will. And he says, the house and all the stuff, including the tie you're about to give me, and all the hundred ties I have will one day be yours. Merry Christmas. Now, what you got for me? That's, in essence, what God does to David here. And, and David, it, like, it, and like it was for David, rather, this is, good, this is a good news corrective for our souls. To know, once again, we can't beat God's giving in a couple of ways I want us to see today. First, the Lord is giving and gives something more than we could ever build ourselves. And secondly... The Lord is giving someone to be more than we can ever be ourselves. I remember the Field of Dreams movie came out where this man with a love of baseball and the history of baseball is praised for his faith in building this baseball field in the middle of nowhere. And the baseball ghosts and spirits would come and play and, and people would come and watch from all over. And they had this famous line, y'all remember it? If you build it, they will come. That's what David sort of thought. <laughs> and we do too. But it is far from what the Bible actually teaches about God coming and hanging out with us. It is not if we build it, he will come. But he has come into our lives, therefore we are free to build it. And getting that wrong will cause us to miss out on the full flavor of what God is seeking to give us. The tabernacle and the tent, the thing he traveled around, had a purpose in its rugged representation. In presentation, see, see, God liked being mobile according to what he was saying in the scripture for us. He liked being more like a food truck than a brick and mortar. Not because it wouldn't be nice to be in a house eventually that was in the works, but because it said something to his people that he didn't want to be lost by a rushed permanent location. That he was building something more than you and I could build. He was building divine relationship 
with his people. To be a God, hear this, who lives with and in his people and nothing you can build in your own expertise or works can ultimately do that. This is more than what you could put together or build for God to be God. Look at verses 4 through 9 and how he explains this. He says, but the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan after David decided to build a house. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people uh, of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving around and about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. The Lord, see, is making sure David understands that he is a God unlike the other nations at that time around them. Hear me, that, that he is not defined by human institution or the ability of human institution through human works and institutions. I mean, excuse me, though human works and institutions can express who God is and welcome God to be glorified here or there, he is saying, I am not contained or controlled by anything outside of my own desire to be where my people are. To be in their lives. To go where he takes them and where life and, and your struggles and brokenness and hard times take you. God is saying, I don't want to be built away, right? Or, or in any way that would cause or make us say or possibly believe that God isn't with me here. That, that he's in that building. He, he's in the thing I've built. He's in that thought. He's in that idea. The, the th what I think about myself or, or whatever it is, that in this situation, in this place, God is not here with me. God doesn't want us to ever think or believe that. Because the relationship with him says, and what he's telling David here, that he is not limited to impact your life by where you live, by where you are, by where you work, by what you've fallen into. Well, by, by what you've made a mess out of or, or how you failed or how you've prospered. Do you see the movement here? I took them from Egypt. I took them as judges and now I'm giving them a king. These are things I've done when my people couldn't do it for themselves. And he's trying to communicate that regardless of where you are, God can come and is there with you. And he's with you if you are the child of God, we should see this is how and what we, we should see this is how and what we do or, or build for God that, that, that in how we do and how we build things for God, that he is way more giving of himself and present 
then we humans can make him on our own. In fact, you know what we do? This was the danger of building. We tend to put fences of self-righteousness. We tend to put our own morals around God, our brick and mortar, or our, our, our standards of self-righteousness. We, we create doorways that say, I know God to be in my life if I act like this. And, and we, then we do it for others. You know, I think God to be in your life and is willing to be the kind of person you, he, he wants to be with if you follow down this pathway that I've built towards him. And oftentimes it is our own self-righteous works or, or we tell people, if you jump through these hoops, right? If you go through these doors that I've successfully gone, gone through, then guess what? You can be God's too. You can be with him too. If you come through this doorway, not Christ the doorway, but my own self-righteous thing I've built way. And sometimes we don't have to wait for somebody to build it for us. We build it for ourselves. I do it all the time. I have this house in my mind that I philosophically built for God that is not biblical. And I think when I'm doing this, God must be with me. And when I'm doing well, God must be with me. And, and, and if it looks like, you know, I, I'm treating God right, now I know he's with me. When I'm behaving right, oh my God. Gosh, God is really with me. And yet David came back. I mean, this must have really helped correct him, right? Because he said in his Psalms, even if I make my bed in hell, you're going to be with me? Even if I try to run, even if I try to find some idolatrous evil way to escape you, even if, as he describes it, if you look at the imagery, even if my prosperity takes me above the clouds, Lord, almost close to you, guess what? You are there. If like Icarus, I can climb and then like Icarus when I fall, guess what? You're there. Nothing I can build. Nothing I can do should stop that. I'm going to say this. Nothing, no church, no hidden values, no structure should be built in a way that limits God's divine reach and presence to meet and care for his people. A relationship with the Lord should not be painted in or represented as unreachable. We are so built we believe in the right way and have so built our lives. You know what we believe? Like David would think, like the pagan way of thinking, this is such a nice place. I'm such a nice person. God can't help but want to grace us with his divine presence. My theology is so good compared to yours. My life has been so holy Man, God can't help it. He looks at my life like a good house and says, man, I got to live there. Because we woke enough, right? You know all the social justice issues. You got all the t-shirts. You're marching for everybody. You know God's with you now, right? Sure he might be, but that's not why he is. 
Oh, we're so loving enough. We're settled enough. Of we're, 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 we're living enough, right? Oh, we, we have built a place and space good enough and big enough for God. But God protests that kind of thinking. God didn't want David his people's regular. Hear this. He didn't want his work, regular working class folks in the kingdom to think they had to have a king size prosperity budget and worth for him to be with them. Could you imagine it? David gets to build this kingdom without any explanation like we get here in 2 Samuel 7. If God doesn't interrupt the process, you know what it would communicate? Guess what? God is with rich kings. And God didn't come to be with kings. He is the king who calls people to be with him. That's why he makes sure David understands in the scripture. Guess what? I made you. I took you out the field. I took you from walking behind the sheep. And we know what it means when you walk behind the sheep, right? I don't have to say it. To you being not the king, the prince. The fact that God is good enough to want to live with and stay with his broke people, as bad as we are, is what he wants to build our faith on. His faithfulness. He is the foundation. He is the builder. And there is something else more incredible going here. And today, y'all, let me go ahead and warn you. You got to do a little Bible study with me today. I tried to be the cool pastor. I tried. I promise you, I sit at home all the time watching these pastors on TV with the cool churches, the double pocket shirts. You know what I'm saying? I even tried the skinny jeans. I'm trying, y'all, because I want y'all to hang in there with me. But I'm sorry. You're going to get some meat and potatoes today. Y'all going to have to follow through this text. You got to wake up at home. You might have to actually have to turn to your Bible app and follow through. Okay? All right? That, that ain't me. That ain't Christ Central. I'm sorry. All right? Now, let's get into the Word. I just want to give you that public service announcement. There's something more incredible going here. Once again, unlike the pagan thinking of you build it and build your life well enough, then the gods will come. God is saying, I have built where I come and look at what he has built and where he is going to live. Look at verse 10 and 11 with me. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and plant and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And, and, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time I have appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. What? Okay, okay, okay. So let me tell you what these verses are saying. He's using the term house, and you're going to see house used from here on out interchangeably on purpose. It's saying God is going to bring his people to a place. Let's call it a space in such a way that he says he will do, like he says he will do for David, he will make him and them a house that will bear God's name. Hear that? So let's go medieval Europe with, with, together or, or, or Game of Thrones for some of y'all, okay? Or, or, or whatever, you know, movie, TV show y'all watch or King Arthur or something, right? They would call families by what house they belong to. 
right? Sh shorthand for household. If you were of the house of Brown, it doesn't mean the actual house. Even though the family had a centralized location, it was very important, you know, the land and the castle and all of that. But even if you left where you geographically lived, you were still the house of Brown. God is saying he is seeking to build these people into a house or household of God. Now, this gets dramatic, right? More dramatic because God is saying they will become the house of God. He's not really saying, I'm going to build you a house, David, brick and mortar, even though it can be represented that way, right? But, but he is saying they will become the house of God by being the people who are, hear me, the space that God will live in. That he will actually come live not just with them in their lives. And the Bible gets, this, this point gets sharper as the, as the Bible story uh, continues on into the epistles and on into Revelation, right? That, that, that he will actually come live not just with them in their lives, but like a house within them. His presence, his embrace, the divine God in our souls. To have relationship with them, not like some object, but a living relationship with the living God relating with his people. Hear this now, not just from the outside in, but now the inside out. Believers. God's people. Do you know who you are? You, you, you are the dwelling place of God. Well, while you are on earth and, and built together, the Bible tells us in the epistle, you, you form a holy house, a, a holy temple as you come together as, as living stones, right? And you become that institution that, that God actually lives in. You're that people group and that institution program, discipleship, now discipleship and rules and obedience and, and church vows and, and missions and visions and all the physical buildings you see all over Charlotte and works are simply, guess what? The add-ons to the real house. They're simply the result. The space, the relationship happens, right? That's all that this building is. You're the building within a real, you're the real building, the living building built up together in fellowship and relationship with God inside a temporary building. You know what it is? All that stuff is the decoration. I mean, all the stuff God gives us outside of the relationship we actually have with him and we have with each other as a living church, that stuff is like the Lowe's and Home Depot. Sure, for the care and maintenance and beauty of our souls of the real building, right? The real relationship, the house that is God's people. Just like we don't go to Lowe's or Home Depot and say, do y'all have a place for me to stay? We don't do that. You got everything to build a roof. Can I stay here? But this ain't the roof you live on, the fool. This ain't you. But you got nails. You got everything in here to build a house. Can this be my house? No. You can work here. Buy and leave. 
Unlike, he, see, he doesn't dwell in self-improvement or even religious works. That's like Lowe's. That's like Home Depot. That's a blueprint. That's Pinterest, right? Unlike Home Depot, he is not saying you can do it. He can help. Though he is for improvement and growth and sanctification and holiness, glory, the Lord wants to promise and belief that where they are, that where they are, he is, and where he is and goes, he carries and caresses our hearts and minds and transforms the world through that and through us. He wants that to be the substance of your household and your existence. And what's being built is you. And if we start building stuff for him, it just takes away from that. And becoming the house of God, the dwelling place, the people of God, a person with a name and address is a holy God. Is something we can't give or do for God. We can only receive it. We can't beat God's giving when it comes to us becoming and being the people we must be. He must give that to us and do that and build that in us and build us into that from the inside out. He must change our hearts. He's got to change the foundation of our lives and the roof. And like any extensive home improvement or build, build you do, we need a contractor. I try to do a lot of home improvement, but I know my limits. When stuff starts sparking in the wall, that's it. Something start leaking. In the wall or underneath? Mm -mm, I'm not going underneath there. Right? We need someone who can do and be what we can't. And God gives that too. Look, look at verse 11 and 12. So after verse, he says, From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I'm going to stop right there. God is saying, David, <laughs> you're pretty good. You know, you, you came a long way. They could write a whole book of the Bible about you. <laughs> Little shepherd boy. With a rock and a slingshot, beat Goliath, then becomes a king. We love that story. That'd be one of the Hallmark, million Hallmark Christmas stories, right? But you can't do it. <laughs> You're still not enough. You don't have all the right stuff. And guess what? I'm sorry, dog. Like, you, you got too much of the wrong motives going on. And some of that stuff's going to start coming out. We'll see like any of us would. So this is beyond you, David. I got to get someone to be more than what you can and must be to please me for you, to be in your place, to do the work for you, because you can't get it done. You can't build this house I'm talking about. Not the physical one. Sure, you got the cash to do that. I'm talking about the house I just explained. The place, the living dwelling place of God and God's people's life. You don't have it. 
And of course, the immediate understanding that Nathan is prophesying is about David's future son, Solomon. And we'll see. I mean, I don't know if we're going to go there, but we, he will build the temple of God in Jerusalem. He will be, build an actual physical house for God. And God will come in there and dwell that, that David couldn't. But look closely. Solomon is just a holder. Right? He's just a type. He's just an immediate example, a, a historical example of what God was talking about. Because not even what Solomon would build would make the people of God a place God could live and have eternal righteous relationship with. In fact, the temple that Solomon would build one day would be burned down in the ark, taken, possibly taken apart. Forget Indiana Jones and all that. Possibly it's a part we don't know and all of that. But you have, it, it would not happen in a way where you would think Solomon did. The temple burned down did God fail or did he lie he said my you're gonna establish my kingdom what happened he's not lying because Solomon and what Solomon built was an imperfect and foreshadowing hear me of what Jesus God's final and perfect king the, the the generational right offspring son of David would do. So like I said, we, we're going to do a little study here. This is your biblical theology, right? Where, where, where the Bible is, 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 again, like an onion, right? Where it, it's, it, it has many layers. And as you, as you peel off the layers from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you kind of get closer and closer to the core and, and it affects your senses in your life more and more as you peel, right? So Solomon was just one part of the, of the onion peel, but, but he wasn't the final part of the peel, right? So this is kind of giving us a description of what's to come. Uh, look, look again, it says, it says the one who will build the house of God will be a unique son of God. Unique it tells us here in the words that, that he will have a relationship with God unlike anyone. That like we see in Jesus, he will be the exact and perfect representation of what God wants and who God is and what he is like and what he intends to say and do among his people. The Lord is saying, you can't give and be for yourself. Hear me, people who can't, you can't redeem or fix your own lives. You cannot be the people who fix all that is broken within yourself for God to be willing to live in you. God is promising here to give for and to us someone else who will actually be the contractor for, you, for the human soul and for the relationship we have to have with God to actually bridge and build and redeem and remodel and tear down and build back up and restructure and repair and create anew that relationship between us and God and us and ourselves and us and each other and us in the world. Christians. And our behavior, and our morality, and our politics, whether left or right, and our crusades, and our family values, and the way we come off as good sometimes, too good for our own good, we are not the person or people good enough to call ourselves the people of God. We never have been. We ain't good. God's not looking at our works. He's not saying, man, these Christians, they something else. Or, or look at Howard, man. He's going to make a good Christian. Let's go get him. No. We all, this is what Christianity is for. It's like you got a new household. You got a new name. Christianity, right? 
What it means is we all depend on one person beyond us, beyond our ability to be righteous and loving and at peace. We can't and don't give ourselves as God's gift to the world and to ourselves. We actually are able to, be, to receive the one beyond and ahead and above and yet the one who is God with us, Emmanuel, to be the gift of God and bring the gifts of God to us. He will be given as the giver of life that we can't get for ourselves. But something is crazy here. If you read, he's offering an eternal life. So we're not just talking about some, you know, social or civil or political leader who's going to lead us into earthly prosperity. He's saying your throne's going to be established. What did he say? Forever. Huh? But you just said, I'm going to die. And this scripture should sound extremely familiar to you believers. Right? Look again. Listen again. Verse 13. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. How long? Y'all see that? Forever. And I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now y'all wake up and hang in, with, hang in there with me. Because I know when I was home, it was hard. Right? I was walking all over the place, right? Especially those at home, right? I, I know it's hard. But, but you see how God says that this son, hear me now, and you might have heard these terms if you're a Christian and you've heard the Bible. This son, the son of David, will have a throne that is established forever. And then in a real twist, he says, the eternal and forever kingdom that David, your son will get, will then make you and your kingdom and your house one that will never end through the son, who also is forever. So you know this is not ultimately about Solomon. Sometimes we get real teachy. This is one of those moments. So again, hang in there. In Chronicles, the, the parallel book to this one, David says, I know why I can't build a house because I shed too much blood. I, I'm a warmonger, right? I kill too many people. That's why God don't want me to do it. And his analyst is sort of true, but it's sort of short of the whole truth. But David recognizes something good. He can't have abundant life and definitely not eternal life and an existence that has eternal significance because of all the sin and mistakes and issues in his life. He even knew before the apostle Paul wrote it. And, and God says it. You're going to lie down. What lie down don't mean take an afternoon nap. That's a dirt nap he's talking about, right? He knew the Bible's telling us. Remember I told you the Bible's an onion? It's the same message over and over, just different layers. What is it saying? He knew even before the Apostle Paul wrote it is, is that the wages of sin is death. But the Lord is saying and finishing that statement in this passage by promising, but the gift of God is eternal life. And for that eternal meaning perfected and final and forever good life, the Bible says that God so loved a whole world of people like David and like us that he what? He sent his son. 
the son of David. That would eventually come. That whosoever believes, that means live and trust their lives to his making and building and fixing of it, will not perish or die, but inherit when David wakes up from that dirt nap, inherit as David would through his coming son, inherit eternal life. And that, that son would therefore have to, as verse 14 tells us, be suffer and be beaten in this world for our sins, be disciplined for us in history by the punishing means of human beings to take our sins away so that we could be given and inherit eternal life as sinners. David, his son Solomon, and now you and me must and can receive the gift of God through his son Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is nothing you can build. There is nothing you can be. There is no story good enough where you brought yourself up by your own bootstraps, went on up, made all the right decisions, married all the right people, didn't do all the wrong things. There is no story or no person or no effort you could make outside of receiving the inheritance that the Son of God has built for you and to offer you eternal life. For us to be built up, we needed Jesus to lead us in eternal life, life justified, life transformed for the glory of God, for us to be built up and join in with the household of God by making us sons of God, just like him. Now, I want you to know when I say sons of God, all right, we we already did a sermon on this, but I better say it. Sons is a legal distinction. It is not a gender distinction. It's only a gender distinction in as much as only sons could inherit the blessings of the father back in that day. But sons now means any person in Christ Jesus. Legally a son. So there are daughters who are sons, right? There are sons, there are boys who are sons, girls who are sons, men who are sons, women who are sons, regardless of gender. They are sons. And as a son, you inherit with the firstborn eternal son of God has earned for you. Eternal life. Now, I walked through some deeper biblical theological exegesis. It ain't super deep, but deep, deeper than you used to. Showing you that the story of the Old Testament, I hope y'all can see this every time y'all read it. And I'm taking a little aside here. I know I'm preaching long, but y'all got to hear it. Rewind it, whatever you got to do. I want you to know that the Old Testament is the story of Jesus shrouded and played out in history and lives of God's people in the Old Testament. And now that deep and rich heritage in theology, the Old Testament, you know, when you look at David, you're so distant from the story. Don't you know this is your story? As sons of God? The, the chapter 7, when it talks about when you die, you still will get up and have into eternal life that you're inheriting, that you are part of the household of God. This is your story in Christ Jesus. This is not fake. This is not, not a good fiction book. C.S. Lewis was good. Tolkien was good. This is the real thing. Lord of the Rings is good. Man, I watch Lord of the Rings. It really makes me feel, and I see all the parallels and like, great. This is the real thing. 
So stop trying and then receive. And for some of us believers who have gotten caught up, especially in a very defense of 2020, I have defending and being right and debating our beliefs and morals in the public arena and with our family and in the church standing for rights and righteousness. And that may have gotten us like me tired and depressed and living and putting too much weight on the finite arguments and on our ability to argue and justify ourselves and defend ourselves. And it's easy to think because now we're building up walls of defensiveness against each other. And when you start building, you forget, you forget that you are being built by Christ. So this is a reminder to come back. Them little walls of defensiveness, that ain't nothing. Your little wall arguments, that ain't nothing. The real story is here. I want you to take the will of God not in your hands, but take and receive your heavenly deity's will through Jesus into your heart. I want you to breathe <laughs> like one who has eternal life. Not just the yoga stuff. Yoga, some of that stuff, the breathing, that's good. But I want you to breathe like someone who has rest, as he said David had, and hope. And I want you to move and be because he has built what you can't and given who you are, can't be. And I will get into what our right response should be next week to God's giving because there is a way where we thank God and respond properly. And David, and I'm going to get into that next week, next time we come to this passage. But I want you to know this relationship is beyond transactional. Um, and so we'll look at that next week. And... Uh, we will be taking a break, though, from, for four weeks to do our traditional cinematic Christmas sermon series starting next week. Because I need a break from Samuel for a little bit. Because I'm feeling Christmassy. Put the lights out. I was going to keep going through Samuel, but I'm like, nah, the Christmas thing got me. Went in the lows. I was in the North Pole. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Okay, if y'all know what that means, you know that next week we'll be We'll see the Christmas gospel themes in the movie Elf. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Right? So you might want to watch Elf again. It plays on AMC like six hours in a row sometimes. But I also want you to do something else besides watch a movie. Read the Christmas story at the beginning of Luke. Just look at it again. I'll refer to it. I'll be preaching from the Bible. We'll just use illustrations from a very popular movie. Okay? But let me close with this thought from the passage before us because this is two parts. You got the first part of chapter seven and the second part, David's response. But let me close with this thought from the passage. You know what God was driven by in correcting David? He simply wanted to be with his people. He didn't want anything to get in the way of blessing them. Don't you know what this is about? He didn't want a transactional, work-centered, self-righteous, proving themselves way of life, getting in the way of them having a daddy-like relationship with the God of heaven. Every Christmas, I end up feeling the same way, no matter how expensive the gift I buy for my father. I feel like a son again, like a child again, like I have a daddy like I have a daddy. 
The Lord sent his son Jesus because he wanted you as sons and daughters. The reason the Lord doesn't want us to ever think we can or must beat his giving. Because he always wants you and me to know and feel like sons who have a loving, all-powerful, and all-knowing father and daddy. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of eternal life. We've built our lives in so many ways and think that's what you're blessing. <laughs> or, or that makes you want to be with us. Or, or that makes us acceptable, Lord. Thank you for kicking down what we've built. Lord, or, 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 or redeeming it. Because we would have missed so much of the love and grace you promised by just being sons. Just being those who inherit the gift of eternal life. I pray this Christmas season, Lord, that we would remember as many gifts as we can buy, as much debt as we might go into, as much savings as we can spend. As we do it, remind us. We can't even begin to touch how much you have given us. Help that make us grateful and hopeful as we enter this season. Help us to give much thanksgiving to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.